the Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. Overnight, the news broke that um, businessman Ben Dunn has died. He um, uh, reports say that he had a heart attack while golfing in um, Dubai. And it has the timing of it has led to the interesting situation where the Business Post, as a case in point, has two separate front pages. There is the print front page and there is the online front page. The online front page running with a piece by Matt Cooper saying, Matt Cooper, Ben Dunn's turbulent life was rarely far from the public gaze, but he never let controversy define or beat him. And of course, the period that Ben Dunn would have been so significantly in the public gaze was the period when Matt was the uh, business editor of the Irish Independent and then subsequently the overall editor of the Sunday Tribune and was one of the reporters who led to the McCracken and uh, was one of the significant forces that led to the Moriarty Tribunal. So... Coming out of 11 o'clock, we're going to be talking to Matt about the life of Ben Dunn and the legacy and the shift in Ireland that has occurred across the period from the late 80s and early 90s in terms of the overlap between business and politics. But one of the things that seems to be uh, appearing when you look at the passing of Ben Dunn is a generational schism in understanding or a generational schism about the uh, perception of the man. Because to people probably under the age of 40, 35-ish, he is that guy from the gyms. To a generation over that age, he is a significant figure in Irish politics and in the overlap between Irish business and Irish politics. And in, in that vein, it is probably worth reminding ourselves of some of the hugely remarkable life of Ben Dunn. I'm joined by Brian Carey, who's business editor uh, at the Sunday Times. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Anton. Brian, for the generation who know Ben Dunn as the guy from the gyms, can you flesh that out a little bit for us? Yeah, it is, as you say, an, ex- an absolutely extraordinary life story. You know, um, he left school at the age of 14 to join the family business, which was Dunn Stores, which was set up by his father, Ben Sr. Um, he he uh, says himself that really he 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 basically was turned into the business and, 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 and worked there for 20 years alongside Ben, really driving the growth of, of, of Dunn Stores in you know, transforming it into becoming the biggest retailer in the country when you take its grocery and drapery. And um, he, his reputation at Dunn Stores would have been, I suppose, of a, a ruthless businessman. He was hard on suppliers, hard on staff, uncomp- uncompromising, you know, in how he dealt with, 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 particularly with competitors. You know, at the age of 32, he was kidnapped by the IRA um, and uh, held for seven days and released following the payment of a ransom. Um, and and then two years later, uh, his father died, and, and he was he was plunged into the uh, taking over the responsibility of of actually leading the firm. Uh, and then I suppose the next biggest landmark uh, in in his life was 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 the incident in in 1992 in Florida, when on on, on a golf trip, uh, police were called when uh, on the 17th floor of of a hotel uh, he was found. Uh, in a very distressed state uh, and uh, uh, was found in possession of of, um, of cocaine and that led to the triggering of a, an, an enormous series of events that, that as you've said, led to massive upheaval uh, within business and politics in Ireland. Uh, obviously, it led to a schism within the family. He was the youngest of six uh, siblings. 
and uh, each of them had a, a say in the running of the, of the business, obviously. And uh, he was forced out of the business. And as a part of that, there was a a, a investigation by WPWC into how the business was run, and that unearthed payments that were made to uh, politicians, specifically uh, uh, Charles High, up to one million pounds, I think it was at the time, uh, had been paid to uh, to to High, and and also payments that were made to uh, Michael Larry, and that led to the creation of the the McCracken and the Moriarty trib- tribunals, and which various adverse findings were were made in relation to Ben Dunn, uh, and particularly one, one transaction and, and one action which was which was described as being profoundly corrupt, you know. So it is extraordinary that he has had this extraordinary life, uh, and and yet in many ways he's seen uh, as being he wouldn't be seen as the greatest business Irish business person of all time, uh, but he certainly would have been amongst our best known. He also would be amongst our best light. Uh, that's kind of like a reflection of his, of his personality of 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 how he how he came to deal with those things. And it strikes me in his life, in in looking at his life and in looking at his period post the kidnap and post the incident in Miami, it is almost as if the word indomitable was created for him. Absolutely, you know, and I think what people respect about him and like about him as well is that he he was very open and honest about his own failings. You know, he he uh, he didn't seek to blame others, uh, and he he I think people kind of respected that. You know, he kept on. He obviously built Ben Dunn and and the Ben Ben Dunn gyms. Uh, at its peak, I think they had twelve outlets, uh, including one in Liverpool. But yeah, he 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 kept on going. You know that that certainly would be a, be a function of the guy. He he was also he was also I think down to earth. I think people related to him very very easily. Uh, you know, over over my career in journalism, it's, it's quite extraordinary because during his Dunn's time and, and Dunn's stores is is uh, is still the same today as in many ways as it was then in terms of its dealing with the media. He was completely off limits, and and he was uh, he was inaccessible, and there was a stone wall. Whereas you know, post on stores, he was very very accessible. Uh, he he was very quick to talk about the issues that are facing you know normal businesses, small businesses, and growing businesses, and uh, you know that was quite a tra- transformation. And you talk about your period in, in, in Irish journalism covering both the, the, the McCracken at the time and the, the kind of issues at the time through to now. Do you see it as, because it seems when you remind yourself as if we are looking at a different world. I mean, the notion of the interactions with Michael Larry, as you said, I mean, the, the sole member of the tribunal describing them as corrupt to a degree that was nothing short of breathtaking. When you look mm. at the interactions with Charlie Hahi and the money that travelled to high. It seems like an entirely different world. Is that a naive view? <laughs> One would hope so. You know, I think we would hope so because because a lot of a lot of those payments that were paid from Dunn stores to Charles I, for example, went to uh, you know offshore bank accounts in, in in the Cayman Islands. It was, I suppose, peak crony capitalism. You know, uh, as it was known. You know, um, you would certainly like to think so. You would certainly like to think that it's it's now a lot an awful lot. Uh, an awful lot less corrupt, yeah. But uh, you know that, that that time was very unusual, and I think for him personally as well. When you think about it, about his life story, you know, his father had just died; he had just taken over the business, 
and I suppose he was he was keen to make his mark and, and, and keen to become a person of influence, I suppose, and, and, and that may have driven him in that direction. And he would have been advised as well by senior advisors within Dunn Stores at the time and uh, uh, that, 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 that this perhaps was the way to go. But it was... Um, when you look back at it, it's it's an absolutely extraordinary period in in uh, in our in our in our history. Brian, thank you very much for coming on this morning. That is Brian Carey from the Sunday Times five three one zero six. If you want to get in touch, I should give Brian his, his full title. He's of course business editor with the Sunday Times. An awful lot of sympathy being expressed publicly, a lot of it through social media, uh, on the death of Ben Dunn. An intriguing one, um, Mary Lou Macdonald. The uh, leader of Sinn Féin, tweeting, very sad to hear of the sudden death of Ben Dunn. My thoughts are with his beloved family. He was a good man who cared about people. We will never see his likes again. Er gerev dilish. And what's interesting is that uh, the replies, and as a rule of thumb, all or 99% of the social media replies that any politician gets will always be cynical. It is rare that you get anything positive in response to a politician's tweet. But it's interesting to see just how many people saying things like, did you not kidnap him and hold him captive for a week? Uh, and more along those lines. We'll discuss that because, of course, one of the things is how significant that IRA kidnapping was on Ben Dunn's life thereafter. We'll be talking to our panel about that. We'll also be talking to our panel about RTE, which is the other big story. I'm joined by Miriam Simon, who is a business strategist and expert in all things retail. Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor with the Irish and Sunday Indo and Valerie Cox, journalist and author, um, ex-RTE for a, a long period of time and possessor, I discover, of the fanciest pens in the entire world, <laughs> Valerie. I give you one after. So it, you say, but I don't see it changing hands just yet. Torches on them and everything. I know. Valerie has very kindly gifted one to me, and uh, I'm very grateful. And I'm deeply resentful of the fact that you get one and I don't. Nor does Miriam. I don't know why it is that you're so special, Miriam. Uh, before we get into the the detail of um, Ben Dunn and Ben Dunn's life, one of the things that was mentioned by Brian Carey was his role in building Dunn's to the kind of significance that it now holds. It's probably worth putting that in context because obviously uh, Margaret Heffernan has been a powerhouse in the years following Ben Dunn uh, Jr.'s um, stewardship of the organisation. But in Irish retail terms, it's a behemoth, isn't it? It, it is. Um, I think the only other retailer we have on that scale is Musgraves. Um, Dunn's, uh, their their place in the marketplace is quite significant. So they're Ireland's top and um, primary grocery retailer, for example. According to Cantar, they, they are worth over 22.5% of the entire grocery spend in this country. But so from, one out of every five euros in the country gets spent on food, gets spent in Dunn's. Yeah, there's um, a, a, a war going on between themselves and Tesco and Musgrave, but Dunn's are holding as a number one spot in there. And then um, from a from a department store in drapery, which is a really old fashioned term that they use for their drapery, um, they are um, quite exceptional retailers. So they are held as a benchmark in retailing. You know, they've, they've gone through a huge transformation over the last 10 years of uh really updating the stores also. And this is a journey that was probably started by uh, Ben and then uh, Margaret took the, the, the reins. We'll not go into the family dynamics, but Margaret took the reins. But, you know, they are seen as exceptional buyers, exceptional executors. They are a benchmark of good retailing for Ireland. We can go a little bit into the family dynamics because by repute, apparently, the um, I don't know about the direct relationship between Ben Dunn and his father, but the, the sense that I get is that the father was a fairly driven, take no prisoners individual, which might have been a fairly significantly pressured environment to grow grow up in. 
I, I would say so. And actually, it was interesting. I was doing my swatting this morning and I was looking at, you know, Ben Don Sr., his father, who who also unfortunately passed away from from heart attack, actually, in the 80s. He, um, his, his um, grounding, I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember, was Roaches. So he, he grew up in Roaches stores and then went on to... To, to, to found Duns in competition with roaches, actually. So, so yes, um, um, you know, a, a strong background of hardcore retailing there. And it's one of the things, again, it harkens back slightly to what I was saying to Brian Carey about there being a big generational shift in the understanding of Ben Dunn's life, that for certain people, he is the Ben Dunn of Ben Dunn gyms. And yeah. to others, there is so much wrapped in. Part of it linking back to that tweet that I was referencing to Mar- from Mary Lou McDonald, because Mary Lou McDonald <laughs> expressed sympathy, as did many people on the sudden death of Ben Dunn. But it caused a wave of people to point out that, of course, the IRA back in the uh, late 80s, early, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, wasn't that right? Early 80s. Early 80s. Kidnapped Ben Dunn, held him for a week and ultimately released him only on the payment of a million euro in ransom or a million pounds as was. Yeah. I mean, it was an extraordinary situation, really. And I mean, Ben Dunn, uh, may he rest in peace, has had a a most colourful, exotic life. And this was one of the high points, of course. So they held him, there was a rumour that they'd held him in a, a, a thing like a coffin or something for part of the week. But his release was partly brokered by Eamon Malley, uh, the journalist in the North. And he was handed over to Eamon Malley, um, who brought him back to his family and friends. And Eamon wrote about it at the time and said, you know, he brought him back to his family and friends and they were having all sorts of celebrations that he'd actually been freed. Now, there was a large sum of money handed over and nobody is quite sure of the amount. It's been estimated about a million or a million and a quarter, something like that. That's a million like back that. in the day. That's a million oh, it was huge 40 money years ago. That's and that was pounds. That wasn't euros either, you know. And didn't he go straight back to work within a couple of days of that? Yeah. Like, that must have been immense trauma. Yeah, and then do you remember... I, not exactly the same time. Um, Don Tidy was kidnapped yeah. as well. And Tesco had all of these great big cardboard cutouts in the supermarkets saying, you know, please, anything you know at all, please tell us about it. They were very proactive in trying wow. to find Don Tidy. And um, I mean, something similar was going on with Ben. But you see, Ben Don was a very likeable character. You know, I mean, we've got this list of the things he did that probably weren't exactly correct but and he got himself into trouble over the years but against that he was very well liked he was regarded as a very good employer in his gyms Uh, people enjoyed working for him and the bit I thought really interesting was when the crash came in 2008 and he thought he'd better you know pull in the belt a bit so what did he do he got rid of his yacht and his helicopter (laughs) (laughs) he he was very he he was a very charismatic you know I I do think he's going to be remembered very fondly Um, I I, I do think he's going to be remembered we we, we love a redemption story in Ireland don't we we Mm. we we love we a flawed character as well. We do. Point, we like Let's flawed. get to the redemption story in a bit because some of the, if I remember rightly, his apology goes down as one of the great apologies because he did a yeah. full bore mea culpa hands up. But before yeah. we get to that, the kidnapping queue is another example of those things I think about where you look at the past and it seems like a different country. Attitudinally, there was sort of a sense of, well, now you're unkidnapped, so you're grand. Yeah, and, and Liam Collins, uh, who has a, an excellent piece in the Sunday Independent today about the, the life of Ben Dunn, he recalled that, that the infamous uh, situation in Orlando in the hotel room in 93, um, he, he says that, that um, you know, when, when Ben Dunn was under the influence, he began to panic, pace the room, and he, he began to uh, recall um, 
his ordeal, his kidnapping ordeal, he, he writes that be, before long he was confronted by security men clad in black and had a flashback to his kidnapping by the IRA 11 years before. Um, and, and so that, I suppose, speaks to the, uh, the very deep psychological trauma that he underwent as a result of being held mm-hmm. hostage for, um, for a period by the IRA. Um, and, and that obviously had a huge impact on him. Um, and you but know, the terror that must be awful. I mean, I, 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 yeah. I, I the, do. you remember the, the the kidnapping where the man was held in Park Atrium? Sorry that I can't recall his name. The dentist who had the the uh, fingertips of his little oh, fingers. Oh, that was yeah. horrendous. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that knowing at the time what could happen to you as a kidnapped mm. victim, the the absolute terror and horror yeah. that he must have yeah. gone through for that week, and the legacy so, in terms of. So the, the, I suppose that that manifested itself in in the infamous situation in Florida, and obviously that had a profound effect on on him and, and in terms of his, his involvement with Dunn's as well subsequently um, I mean that's kind of the first thing I remember about Ben Dunn because I'm I'm a, a little bit younger I guess and um, you know and Ben Dunn for me is, is a guy who uh, you know I, I, I don't know a huge amount about him but certainly it's, it's one of those things that he, he, he was sort of he intersected various key points in Irish history like the involvement with Hahi and the Thanks a Million Big Fella um, you know the tribunals, and then obviously laterally the Ben Dunn gyms, which were enormously successful, um, which he sort of uh, scaled back a bit during the COVID pandemic, and and managed to to relaunch in more recent years. Um, so we all, look, we wonder, does he did he get the helicopter and yacht back? Yeah, in years? <laughs> he lived a very full life, and I think yeah. that's not that's um, that's all you can ask yeah. for, really. Seventy four is very young, you know. My, I was talking to my father about him this morning, and you know. <laughs> My father's of, of of that generation, I guess, and and when you know when you see people dying at that age, you're kind of like that's actually quite young, you know, yeah. and it's it's a real but, shame. By the way, I should say John O'Grady was the the dentist. Yeah, that's in right. Question, my but father. he did play a very big uh, role in Irish history. I mean, he's never yeah. going to be forgotten. And I think one of the things we also can't forget is, you know, he was very much a family man. And his family is seriously grieving. This was a very mm. sudden death. They weren't expecting it. He had mentioned before at some stage that he had heart trouble and that he had regular checkups and so on. But I mean, this morning, his son, I think one of his sons issued a statement and, you know, he says he's a decent man. He was our dad and all the rest of it. And I think you've got to remember that side of it as well. But he was instrumental in bringing down a number of politicians and with the various tribunals. He was involved in every one of them, mainly because he was giving handouts. Uh, I mean, the handout that he gave to uh, Charles Hawhey, um, Hawhey that we know of, got about 1.3 million from him in 1997. And again, we're talking pounds there. It's a lot of money. And at the time, I mean, one of the people involved in the various tribunals was Liam Lawler. Um, who was jailed on three occasions for contempt of court in 2001 and 2002. And on one occasion, I mean, I was, I wasn't a child then. I was working for the Independent and the Independent sent me out to doorstep Liam Lawler. And I suppose we were a little bit more aggressively doorstepping people back in the day. And uh, I went out to his house in, I think it was in Lucan. Beautiful house, beautifully manicured garden. Gardener doing the garden when I got there, you know, had a chat with him about it, as you do, to try and find out anything. Then I was besieged by lovely dogs and knocked on the door. His wife um, was very nice to me, said, well, I'm sorry, he's not here at the moment, but would you like to come in and have a cup of tea? So I sat in this lovely sunroom and I had tea from China Cups and cake. 
And the next thing, Liam Lawler walked back in and his expression said, what is she doing here? But he was lovely. And, yeah. you know, all of these people seem to have been lovely characters that people liked very much. He didn't give me any exclusives, but I had a lovely afternoon, which I was then able to write about. <laughs> but I, yeah, I do think, I do think Ben Dunn will be remembered very, very fondly. And and almost, I, I can see a future where we almost quote him from a leadership point of view, because he had a mentality that was very... You know, when you're looking back, delete what doesn't work and then look forward. And and actually, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good store or a good stock in 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 that statement. And um, there was you, you were talking about the tweet, the Mary Lou tweet. There was a, a comment in uh, the journal this morning, which uh, I'm trying I actually wrote it down because it made me chuckle. Um, it said, been there, done that bought the Taoiseach. And I thought that was, you know, that wasn't written, in, it was written in a very affectionate way almost. Do you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. what's the line about the, the evil that men does uh, lives after and the good is often teared with their bones? I think we need to be careful though about being totally encomiastic because if we look at recent scandals here as case in point, the um, €3,000 that Pascal Donoghue didn't appropriately declare in relation yeah. to posters... That ran for about three months. Front pages, there was tons of... Now, as to whether the merits of it deserved it is a separate issue. But when you juxtapose that with 1.6 million in payments handed yeah. to the Taoiseach... Well, scandals are different now, I guess. Um, and the bar is is higher for what we expect of our politicians and, and people in public life. Um, and, it's, and it's because of... Ethics, though, aren't they? It's be, yeah, ethics are absolutely, yeah. But it's because of, of Charles Hawhey. It's because of that corruption... Um, that was endemic within Irish political and public life, and um, that we we have higher standards now. We expect more of our politicians, and we particularly, I think, expect more of the likes of Pascal Donoghue, who is who, who prides himself on his propriety and came into office at a time when we were, you know, in the depths of of a recession brought about by a you know Fianna Fáil that was linked too closely to the developer classes and and you know fueled the property boom that that bankrupted the country, um, but. You know, I, I I suppose it's it's you know when we look at Ben Dunn, flawed character and all that he was, I guess that, that the very fact that he was uh, at that you know involved in that kind of um, practice of bankrolling politicians and the fact that that all that came out um, has now I guess uh, led to a situation where we expect better of our politicians, yeah. we expect expect better of our, yeah. of our public yeah. figures. You know? I think you're absolutely right because yeah. uh, I mean back in the day people did not take a lot of this very seriously I mean if we even That's look true, at yeah. Michael yeah. Lowry yeah. Uh, the subsequent general election everybody was out campaigning for Michael Lowry Michael, Michael Lowry, Lowry is still a politician he's, st- he's, he's still, 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 still there yeah. uh, Charlie Hawhey the same everybody yeah. loved Charlie do you remember the grieving when he died and the one thing Charlie's supporters always said was yes you know he did take this money uh, from business people but he didn't do anything in return and of course he did and mm-hmm. one of the things was that which, um, which Let's be clear. In and of itself, is an interesting defence. It has to be said. But yeah, sorry. Absolutely, it's a great defence. But he said, "Well, he was." They were trying to make out there were political donations, really. Yeah. But uh, how he actually got the Dunn Family Trust tax assessment of thirty-nine million down to sixteen million, and then down to zero through an independent appeals body. And he had arranged for Ben to meet the then chairman of the Revenue Commissioners. I mean, how useful wow. was that? Very good article, by the way, on this in the Mail on Sunday mm. today uh, by Philip Nolan. 
a mm. terrific article dealing with all this. But, go ahead. No, I was just going to, it is interesting though, isn't it, that you have someone like Mary Lou MacDonald whose party rails against corruption and you talked about the Pascal Donoghue controversy and, and her party was at the forefront of, of calling that out a few months ago. Uh, and she pays a very, very heartfelt tribute to Ben Dunn, probably someone she knew because, you know, they, they live kind of roughly in the same area of, of West Dublin. Um, but but obviously, you know, she would be, uh, she would be, you know, front, she, if she was around back then in, in, in Irish politics, she would have been at the forefront of calling out that kind of um, uh, Although activity. Because I, I was reading the tweet and I was thinking, it, it is a difficult balance. It is even a difficult balance for us in this discussion because yeah. you're very conscious of a bereaved family. Absolutely. And a bereaved family Absolutely. who must be thinking, oh, don't dig up everything. Don't be talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And even like, you know, ago. the Mail on Sunday has a, a picture of his mugshot from Florida. You know, that, 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 that's obviously a, a terrible moment for him and his family and, and not one that they would like to recall. But it's obviously gone down in infamy and is, is will forever be associated with Ben yeah, but Dunn, I don't yeah. think that Ben Dunn himself would mind this discussion. I mean, mm. there's a piece Philip Nolan wrote saying it was often said that Ben Dunn had a very high opinion of himself, but he was smart enough to be self-aware too. And he quotes Ben Dunn saying, anybody who knows me will say I'm half mad, but I never denied it. For a fellow <laughs> yeah. who is half mad, I've done well, but I've also got myself into a lot of trouble. And he was well liked. And I think that's not a bad legacy to be leaving. It's not. He was also pretty bloody visionary so if you if you look at the blueprint of Don's stores he kicked all of that off in action uh, and and I don't want to take away from the exceptional job that Margaret Heffernan has done but he kicked all of that off but also with Ben Don Jim's when the pandemic came and everything was in shutdown he he used that time to really think of how is this going to play out yeah. and there were a lot of businesses that just waited for everything to return to normal he was sharp enough to realize there wasn't going to be a return to normal that we were now on a new trajectory and and he, he was clever enough to to look ahead and he actually used the that time to to remodel the gyms and and completely relook at the business model of it. Well, we got a text saying, um, Anton, loving the show, don't forget the scandals. We won't forget the scandals. We're going to talk to Matt Cooper coming out of 11 o'clock, who, of course, was significant in leading a lot of the reporting around that time. But I'm conscious of the point that Miriam is making, that this is somebody who did make a significant contribution to business and who did make a significant, um, that thing, of again, of the indomitable spirit to say, well, I have been knocked back and I'm going to build it up from the ground again. So we decided before we come on air, we would have a bit of a word with somebody who uh, knew him and our own uh, Bobby Kerr uh, is one of those who had business dealings and overlapsed with him in, in the last number of years. And uh, I asked Bobby about Ben Dunn and his relationship uh, with him, beginning by just saying a quick good morning to Bobby. How are you, Anton? I'm very good. You, your relationship with Ben, you knew him? I did. I knew him reasonably well. And firstly, I have to say, when I heard the news, immense sadness overcame me because I knew Ben as a decent man as a guy who was great fun, as a guy who was able to laugh at himself, and he never took himself seriously. I, I found him to be straightforward, blunt, honest, and refreshingly candid. And I loved him a lot. And did you, did you overlap in business, or was it a, 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 just a, a personal friendship? Yeah, we, I, I met him first many years ago when we were both launching something to do with, I can't even remember. It was in Fingal County Council and there was a photograph of Ben and myself on a Harley Davidson. <laughs> which, which, And he made a joke at the time. There was a stepladder there. And I said, why don't you get up on this stepladder, Ben? And he says, go on, you're just trying to, you're just trying to make me talk about Florida. 
And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's what he said to me. And more recently, uh, he rang me about maybe six months ago and said, I need you out here. Uh, that was to his gym out in Blanchardstown. I'm opening a coffee shop and I'm not opening it unless you come out and have a look at it for me. So that was the kind of relationship I had with him. He was always just good fun. He also did me a few favors in my media world. When I was doing Bobby's Late Breakfast, I wanted a big guest to open the show with, and he obliged me, again, with immense generosity. Go back for a bit, Bobby. You talk about the candor. He was a man, obviously, who had, and I don't mean it negatively, but he was a man with baggage. He was a man who, when you said his name, it brought with it a lot of things, whether it be some of the revelations in the tribunals, whether it be the Florida incident that he referred to there, whether it be the departure from Dunn's. Was he bruised, do you think, by those? Was it a difficult legacy to carry with him all he the time? Was, uh, but, you know, very few people dealt or would have dealt with his troubles like he did. Like, again, he opened his door to the media after Florida. He put his hand up. He said, I screwed up. Like, he, he, he didn't hide from his troubles. He also reconciled with his family, you know, and he talked about how addiction absolutely destroyed his family and how he lost his two sisters. And that was a, a source of immense regret for him. But I know that he that he made up with his family subsequently. So, you know, he, he, he got on with things and he only he only ever looked forward, Anton. He never looked back. And in your time of knowing him, Bobby, did he change much? No, not at all. When he didn't. Now I only knew him, uh, sort of the post more recently. I suppose I only knew him in the last maybe fifteen years. But to me, the first day I met him, he was the same as the last day I met him. There you go. That is Bobby Kerr from, of course, uh, Down to Business on News Talk, 11 o'clock on Saturday mornings, um, with, talking about the death of Ben Dunn, which occurred overnight. We're going to return to that with Matt Cooper out of 11 o'clock, who would have reported significantly on all of the issues relating to both um, the Florida Experience and the McCracken Tribunal. In a minute, uh, my panel, that being Valerie Cox, journalist and author Miriam Simon, business strategist, and Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor with the Irish and Sunday Indo. We are going to be talking all things RTE and all things Tuberty, because Tuberty has a new gig and he is delighted with it. He's in the Sunday Times saying it has been an extremely difficult time. It felt like there was a lot of unfairness about the place and maybe a bit of disingenuous carry on. He goes on to say, I realised that what I was doing this was all for my family. I wanted them to know that there were these awful things that happened, but that I came to this new land for a new opportunity with people who have been so respectful and welcoming and so warm and appreciative. We'll discuss that after this break. Had a reaction to the discussion on the death of Ben Dunn. Glad your guest there, that being Miriam, called him visionary. He was a great businessman. Another, I know the man has just died and his family is in grief, but he was not a saint. Yes, I respect all he's done for the retail sector in Ireland, but not a saint. Another, listen folks, you may be receiving lots of critical texts, re Mary Lou McDonald's expressions of sympathy, but typical of Sinn Féin, they know that there's no such thing as bad publicity and they've managed to get their name to the forefront of your programme again. Well, the Miriam in question is Miriam Sineman, a business strategist and retail expert. Valerie Cox is with us as well, journalist and author, and Hugh O'Connell, a deputy political editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. The other big story of the weekend is, of course, RTE. On the one hand, RTE has just received, or will uh, have received, they're on a promise for tens of millions to dig their 
their way out of the hole in which they are in. And on the other hand, Tuberty has a new gig, of which he says in the Sunday Times, it's a huge freedom. I think it's unfettered by expectation or legacy. I had to pause for six months for reasons that I didn't see coming or understand, to be frank. He sounds, Valerie, like a very happy man. Um, I think he's pretending to be a very happy man. I mean, he's lost a late late. He's lost his morning show. He's going to uh, British um, Virgin Media. And I gather the listenership is something the same as News Talk. So he's not going to have all these millions of listeners. He's well, we're not, not bad per capita. I think the per, no, capita, per capita bit is important. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. Yes. Sorry, Anton. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, yeah. the, you know, the UK is such a vast place. But um, as well as that, he's not being paid that well either. You know, uh, the newspapers don't have an exact amount, but they're saying about 200,000. 200,000 is not going to get him very far in London. And the papers this morning have been very helpful in giving us photos of potential apartments he can rent and <laughs> should he rent his own house in Dorky and so on. But if you're living that lifestyle, you're living in Islington where things can cost like 3,500 for a two-bedroom apartment, then, you know, you're not actually going to have much change and you've got two teenagers and you're trying to support them as well. So I don't think it's a good gig for Tuberty. I think he's just going out to pasture for a while to um, get, you know, to regroup really. It's very good for him. And, you know, what's coming through is, yes, it's great. He has a job. And as somebody says in the paper this morning, I think it was Neve Walsh, he's wanted. And that is very important because he must have felt very unwanted after all the RT machinations Partly his own fault, of course, but uh, oh, but the experience of the last three months must have been horrendous. horrendous to find yeah. yourself on the front page of every paper all the time, uh, ongoing, unending, it has to be horrifying. Whatever the absolutely, merits of the story. and you see, also a lot of RTE staff wouldn't have wanted to work with him. There was a knock-on effect. Mm. RTE staff are having a very rough time. Uh, you know, wonderful people are always in the background. You don't even know their names, producers, and so on. And they've all been affected by this as well. Well, what of that, Hugh? Because finally, the, the RTE has managed to find Kevin Backhurst has done the magical document that gets him the money. But it doesn't yeah. solve all of his problems. No, it certainly doesn't. I mean, I, f- I find Ryan Tuberty's interview pretty nauseating, to be honest. I mean, this is a guy who, let's be honest, would be back at RTE if he showed a little less petulance and a little more humility um, in recent months. Um, so he's found himself in London as a result of his own uh, attitude towards all of this. Let's not forget, he was on the brink of returning towards EE until he decided to double down on his position in relation to these payments. Uh, and that obviously did not create much goodwill on the part of Kevin Backhurst, who made a decision to end uh, that plan to bring him back. Um, and you're right, Kevin Backhurst has produced this strategic vision. It's only 30 pages. It's not very long, but it is the basis on which the government has handed over uh, 16 million this year and is committing to handing over 40 million next year contingent on or implementing the sort of reforms that we've heard a lot about register of interests uh, reducing the pay of some of the top presenters um staff 400s up to 400 or thereabouts being um being moved on and, and the business post today carries a very interesting story which i think miriam wants to talk about which is this enhanced golden handshake for T staff earning over €100,000. They'll get, uh, I think, eight weeks per year of service, yeah. uh, which is very generous. Yeah, yeah, do, do the maths I, on that for I, us, I think in, in the, in the, I think it might have been in the business post this yeah. morning, they were saying that if uh, a member of the team on 120k would be walking away with just under a quarter of a million. Now, that's at least three times what they would get in, in private industry. That is, th- those are, are generous handshakes. And what will it amount to? What will the likely total package be then if you take some? Because there are a fair few people on the 100 plus in RTE. Yeah, aren't there? so so um, 
Let me just check. And that's out. not their pension pot either. No, that's the, the that's the severance pay. The what? severance pay would be about two hundred and forty k if you were on one hundred and twenty grand. That's very very generous. And that's that's tax free, isn't it? That's there you are. There's um, a package. I, I don't. I think in part it will it is would it? be tax efficient. I think is the terminology. What of morale then, Valerie? Because RTE um, staff have been in a situation where they they have seen the organisation of which most of them are very proud traduced over the last number of months and now they see that the solution to that last number of months is essentially cutbacks. I mean, the strategic document, it makes a whole series of broad aspirations about the future, but there's precious little in the way of detail of here's where the sunny uplands might lie. Well, there's no detail, yeah. And I think Kevin Backhurst has been quite clever in that regard because everybody's been pressing him to say, you know, what are you actually going to hold on to? Well, if he says that, then we know exactly what he's going to get rid of. But I think, yes, there is room for trimming and yeah. staff are not going to like it. I mean, there's 400 people going to go. Now, some of it, he says, I think 150 might be uh, people who are reaching retirement age, which I have an issue with as well. They should certainly not be forced out. And I mean, you're getting rid of some of the most experienced people in broadcasting if you do that. But, you know, what we miss sometimes is RTE is doing a very good job. There are very good programmes. There are very good programmers. And, you know, it's like getting rid of the baby with the bathwater. We've got to remember this. We've got to hold on to these things. We've got to support them. I mean, it's very important to have this public service ethos and to be able to support that. And I think the money is going to come in for that. I wouldn't be too sure about the, him getting 400 redundancies. Really? Um, Even at the kind of money that, that Miriam is describing there? You don't no, think it'll be tempting enough for people? There are people who still want to work, who still, you know, have this creative input into RTE. Now, there may well be people who want out as well. I mean, there always are. Bear, bear in mind, we're, we're in a landscape where, um, you know, 2.2 million people are working. We're at full employment. so So it is... It is uh, an employee's market at the moment, which which will will hopefully make it easier for those people to be repositioned. And we should say at this stage that it is voluntary at, at first tranche. Absolutely. So it'll be people who yeah. are putting their hands up saying it suits me. A, tech, a lot of texts in relation to um, Ryan. Delighted for Ryan Tuberty. I believe he was treated very badly by RTE. In his own words, he was dragged into a mess not of his own making and he didn't lose the late late. He retired from it. Uh, another re-Ryan Tuberty. I agree with your guest, Hugh. Ryan should have apologised and be a, been a grown-up and he could now be on RT. The thing I wonder, Hugh, is if you gave him a straight shot and you said gig in the UK mm. or just your radio show on RTE, I would think he's entirely happy with this as an outcome, would you not? Yeah, but let, again, just to go back, like he was on the brink of coming back to RTE. He wanted to go back to RTE. I think that was very clear in his public commentary all through the um, kind of all through the controversy. Home, it's his it? natural home, and, and let's not forget. I mean, he he did try to, I suppose, break the UK a couple of years ago, or more than a couple of years ago, uh, when he he stood in, I think, for various summer. presenters on the BBC. Uh, that that didn't really work out. Um, and it also, I, I, I suppose, sort of exposed this issue whereby it wasn't necessarily the case that some of Ortiz's top talents were being paid extravagant amounts of money because they could get the same or more elsewhere. Can, can, can I ask, um, do, you, do you think if he'd have shown a little bit more humility, mm-hmm. he would have been able to stay? Yeah. Well, it's not so. a matter yeah. of think. Kevin Backhurst said exactly those yeah. words. Yeah. He yeah. was booked to I be back on by now. Yeah. Yeah. It was his statement and I suppose yeah. then, you know, it made him a bit of a loose cannon because if yeah. he's going yeah. to issue a statement like that, a very arrogant yeah. one, then what was he going to do on air? And, and and the other thing is, I suppose that you know the Virgin the Virgin Radio gig, like as you know, as Valerie was saying, that the listenership not great. 
Uh, it is, I think, third in, in terms of commercial, like BBC is the Bamoth, uh, much yeah, like what we see in this country. Size, uh, and then there's kind of three commercial uh, operations, one of which is Bauer, which uh, which owns News Talk. Um, and uh, Virgin is is third in that, so it's it's small potatoes really. And you know Ryan did this very strange uh, uh, appearance on on um, Chris Evans' Evans. show a few a few months ago or a few weeks ago. Uh, it was almost like auditioning for the role. Well, that's the one know. thing that he said. Interesting that uh, subsequently that I've been intrigued by how significant Chris Evans was in brokering. It's, it's almost like Chris got him the drive. Chris got him the gig. You know, he sorted out a mate kind of thing. You know. Final thing before we wrap up on the money thing. Can anybody explain to me how we have a situation where the salaries are capped for presenters at two fifty, but the DG yeah. is on three thirty six? Well, the DG is on three thirty six because he gets a, a a car allowance and he gets a pension uh, entitlements. I think which, which take the, the total remuneration to if it waddles and quacks like salary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but so if, you, if you're going to attract yeah. that level of uh, DG. And, I think he, you know, you're competing I think he said with he took a pay cut. I think you have to. You I think have he was to earn, pay that. Yeah, job. I think he was earning more at, at Ofcom um, and took a pay cut to, to take the RT gig. Uh, look, it's not great. It's not great that he went on primetime, didn't know his salary. Uh, echoes of, of Richard Collins, the infamous uh, former, now former financial director yeah. at RT. So, not great for Kevin Backhurst. Not a great week, I think, for RT in the sense that they did put out this strategic vision, but you have the Backhurst uh, salary faux pas story of the Irish Independent yesterday about Joe Duffy uh, having negotiated a deal before the crisis broke that will see him earn €100,000 over the salary cap for the next two years. Good for him. Not great for him. Although it is the one area where there is clear agreement between Kevin Backhurst, RTE Mm. and Ryan Tuberty, which is an express desire now to put all of this behind them and get on. And I I do note as well, Miriam O'Callaghan in the mail on Sunday today saying she'd be prepared to take the, the, the cap. Well, yeah. let's move to one final positive thing on, on RTE's uh, front to wrap us up. This Friday is Patrick Keelty's first uh, toy show. Oh, Valerie. You've, I try for <laughs> Don't go one. to Valerie for this one. <laughs> I, I cannot stand the toy show. I know my children are grown, but in back yeah. in Gable's day, it was a very innocent thing. And um, he had Pam. You remember Pam? She used to go around and play with the toys with him. Yeah. This is just commercial rubbish at this stage. The, ki- the kids are just looking at all these toys. With a pad and pen in their hands. With, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely rubbish. You, you know, and then, you know, this thing of bringing in children who have yeah. problems or yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah. Well, talk I tried to, to end on a positive you note. To, you don't need to flog toys to talk to these kids. It's ridiculous. Uh, Valerie yeah. Cox, a journalist and author, Hugh O'Connell, deputy political editor with the Irish and the Sunday Indo, and Miriam Simon, business strategist and retail expert. Thank you all very much. The Anton Savage Show, brought to you by PwC. Sunday mornings from ten on News Talk.